Well, uh, I think everyone knows, at least maybe virtually everyone knows, that there are Ten Commandments. Um, we also know, uh, we here, um, especially since we just finished uh, a fairly extensive study of Leviticus, we know that the Ten Commandments are not the extent of God's law, but rather we could look at them as a, um, as a summary of the law. And so the first four commandments address man's relationship with our Lord, and the remaining six deal with our relationships with one another. Essentially, as a unit, the Ten Commandments show humanity how to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and also how to love our neighbor as ourselves. We understand that as a, um, as a summary of the law, as well as a, a guide for Christian living, the Ten Commandments are important. Um, Christians have fought for their inclusion on uh, or in uh, public buildings, for example, like uh, courthouses and schools and such, especially in our nation in the modern times. And as Christians... Um, we take eight or nine of them pretty seriously. We're not going to talk about the second commandment violations today or the Sabbath. But in a straightforward reading of the commandments, you can see why they're so important. But there's, there's one that we could all agree is important, and yet in, in normal everyday life, Particularly when we get beyond childhood, it really takes a back seat. It's the fifth commandment, which is this. It's Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, which says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And we understand this to be about obedience, right? But the promise of long days in the land is clearly connected to, especially for the people of Israel, it is clearly connected to the, to the length of time that the people of Israel would be able to live as a nation in that promised land. But the Apostle Paul directly refers to this law, both in Colossians and in Ephesians. And he writes this in Ephesians. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Quote, Honor your father and mother. And then he said, this is the first commandment with a promise. And here's the promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So children, obey your parents that you may live long. Paul directly applies that law, the fifth commandment, to parent-child relationships. But the law itself is actually, it's actually broader than that. See, while Paul is specifically addressing children there, the law addresses all. It simply says, honor your father and mother. So this month, for the month of December, we're looking at these, um, uh, really at some family matters or family relationships, and, and we're using Proverbs and the, and the quest for wisdom as our guide. And I mentioned that for many of us, um, I said this last week, for many of us, we are, we are first or second generation Christians. 
And we have the opportunity through Jesus Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit to change our, our family tree, to change uh, the entire trajectory of our family line. We have the opportunity to train our children in Christ-likeness and holiness. And that to do so in this, in this particular cultural climate to train our children in Christ-likeness and, and holiness. In order to do that here, we actually kind of have to adopt a, almost a pioneer mindset. Let me give you a famous example of what I mean. You, you may have heard this story before. Um, Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in the 1700s in Massachusetts. Historically, he is regarded as, as early as one of the last Puritans, and, and he's now seen, although not so much at the time by his church, but he's now seen as one of the most respected preachers of his day. He attended Yale, and really, he attended Yale when he was 13, and then he went later on to become the president of Princeton. He married his wife Sarah in 1727, and they were blessed with 11 children. It is said that every night when Edwards was home, he would spend an hour conversing with his family and praying a blessing over each child. As a result of their diligent discipleship, Jonathan and Sarah Edwards passed on a great and godly legacy to their 11 children. A man by the name of Albert Edward Winship, who was a pastor and journalist and educator, he lived about, a, about 150 years after Edward's time, he decided to trace the descendants of Jonathan Edwards up to his own present day. So in the 150 years, he wanted to see whatever happened to Edward's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and so forth. And his findings are actually pretty interesting, especially when compared to, as some sociologists have done, they've compared Edward's line, the line of a man known as Max Juke. He lived in the same time period as Edward's. Well, Jonathan Edward's legacy includes one U.S. vice president, one dean of a law school, one dean of a medical school, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30, 30 judges, 60 doctors, 65 professors, 75 military officers, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 100 clergymen, and 285 college graduates. Remember, Edwards had 11 children, and he and Sarah were godly parents, and, and they were also hardworking, they were intelligent, they were moral people. And interestingly, in his study, uh, Winship would go on to say this. He would say, much of the capacity and talent, intensity and character of more than the, the, the 1,400 Edwards family descendants is due to Mrs. Edwards, the work that she put in with her children, her 11 children at home. Now, compare and contrast the Edwards family with the family of Max Juke whose legacy came to people's attention when the family trees of 42 different men in the New York City or the New York State prison system were traced back to him. So 42 different guys in jail could trace their, their um, uh, genealogy back to this one man. Juke, which is probably not his real name, he lived in New York during the same 
time period as Edwards lived in mostly Massachusetts. His descendants included seven murderers, 60 thieves, 190 prostitutes. 18 of them were brothel keepers. 150 were other convicts. 310 were paupers. 440 people were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. Of the 1,200 descendants of Max Juke that were studied, 300 died prematurely. 67 were reported to have contracted syphilis. Moreover, it is estimated that the Juke's descendants cost New York State approximately $1,308,000, and that's in mid-1800s dollars. Now remember the command, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Or Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. These two families are really just one contrast illustrating the importance of of applying this concept, this principle upon the family. It affects them for generations. And if you noticed, in Edward's line, the world looks at those things and says, those are great things. And and they are, right? We need doctors and even lawyers and even clergy. (laughs) But they're not necessarily Christian. We're talking about applying the gospel that will affect us for generations. This is a a legacy, a heritage that, that we here at Redemption Bible Church are working to build in Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. So turn to Proverbs chapter 23. This is where we're going to be today, chapter 23, beginning in verse 12. And I'm going um, to read all the way through chapter 24, verse 2. Proverbs 23, verse 12 says this. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, he will, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there, there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son... Give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. 
In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like the one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. Let's stop and pray there. Father, what we um, don't know, I pray that you'd teach us. I pray that you would feed us from your word today, that we might be full of not only wisdom and knowledge and understanding, but of Christ. Help us to understand these things, that we might have ears to hear, that we might pursue Christ's righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I should mention as we work through this passage this morning, we're actually going to skip around within the passage a little bit as opposed to working um, from beginning to end, but I I think it'll make sense as we get near the end. Well, if you've spent much time in the book of Proverbs, um, and I would recommend it, you probably know that it's a a unique book in a a bunch of different ways, Um, not the least of which is is that it sometimes reads as sort of loosely connected uh, uh, sayings, right? It it sometimes reads as just sort of like um, uh, nice little things, uh, figures of speech that that people sometimes just just pull out to, to bolster their argument. It sometimes reads like a, like a Hebrew version of the sayings of Confucius. So in Proverbs, you will hear things like this. Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. Or, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Any lottery winner can tell you that. Or how about, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Now, let's be honest, those statements, they're not necessarily Christian in and of themselves, right? They could be simply categorized under the category of common grace, true for believers and unbelievers alike. And then when you come to other sections of Scripture, though, other sections of Proverbs, There's clearly a connection between wisdom and Yahweh, between wisdom and the Lord. So listen to Proverbs 16. Just the first few verses says this, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. The point is that Proverbs and and biblical uh, literature, biblical wisdom literature in general, it must be taken as a whole. Otherwise, you're going to stumble across sayings that that seem to contradict each other or figures of speech that look like they're just not true. And 
When you take Proverbs as a whole, you will be able to also to see the, the patterns and the sections and the, and the influence of the Lord in all of this wisdom. Units you'll see that, that go together as well. So last week I mentioned that, that there's a series of, I, I call them lectures or lessons, um, given from a father to the son, especially in the first section of of the book of Proverbs. In fact, I said there are about 10 in the first nine chapters, and, and we looked at the fifth such lesson in chapter four last week. Well, similarly, when you get closer to the end of the book of Proverbs, you're gonna find, you're gonna find a bunch of collections of sayings. And the third collection that we're looking at today is sometimes just simply called Words to the Wise. It's uh, it is introduced this way. So it starts in chapter 22, verse 17. I want you to pay attention to verse 17 of chapter 22. It says this, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. What follows that verse there is a series of there's actually like 30 um, sayings that are, that are contributed to this, this an anonymous person known as the wise. And remember what our charge was last week? Chapter 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. Get wisdom, get insight. And this collection of sayings here, words to the wise, this has a section about wealth, has a section about strength in times of difficulty. It has a section about not getting wrapped up with the wicked. And then the part that we're looking at today, Proverbs for an obedient son. Proverbs for an obedient son. And just so that we all understand... Proverbs is framed as a father teaching his son, but this is really about one generation passing on wisdom to the next generation. We begin in the same place that we began last week. Get wisdom, or, or we could say get instruction. Instruction, verse 12. So 23.12 says this, Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Get wisdom. Apply your heart to instruction. This is a, this is a picture. This is a call of the Son to bring His heart and His ear to the authoritative teachings of the Scriptures which is being mediated through the Father, through His parents. So the word apply there is literally the word bring. Bring your heart to instruction. So clearly this isn't just about show up to class, right? Bring your pencil and your notebook. This is about actually applying yourself to the work, to do the homework, to participate in the classroom discussion, to show up rested and ready to do the work. It's a bit more detailed expression here of, of how one might go about getting wisdom that we saw last week. But, but I also need you to see something. What is the connection between the heart and the ears? Look again at verse 12. Verse 12 Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. 
Go back a few verses to chapter 22. I read verse 17. Let me read 17 and 18 again. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. Apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. Nothing less than full attention to these things will do. When the, when the scriptures, when Proverbs says, get wisdom, get instruction, he's saying, he is, pay attention, pay careful attention, full attention. In fact, notice, the, notice those descriptors there. He says in, in 2217, incline. That, that means like tilt your head so that you don't miss a word. Listen very carefully. Hear. Take it all in and and ponder it. Meditate on it. Apply it. Let your entire intellect grasp the meaning and decide how to put it to work. And then it says, let them be fixed. Build them into your mind. Build them into your speech and your actions with the firmness of a concrete foundation. In Sunday school, I mentioned how Romans 8.1 has kind of become our theme verse over the last few years. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that, that is fixed in our minds. That's what we're talking about here. Fix these things in our minds and our hearts. See, we understand the Bible talks about, about ears uh, like, like this. When it talks about ears like this, it's talking about the chief receptacle of learning. The ch- ears are the chief receptacle of learning. Jesus will say it like this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Paul, Paul will knowingly ask this sort of rhetorical question. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? In the scriptures, the, heart, the ears are, are the chief receptacle of taking in information, of hearing, of hearing the gospel is what Paul is saying. And also in the Bible, the heart is the center of our thinking, our choosing, are deciding. So 22.18 says, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. That's literally, it actually literally means in your belly, deep down in your gut. Keep God's words, the wisdom of the teachings of the, of the Father here, keep them in your belly. Bring them deep inside of you. That verse will go on to say that we must, we must keep the words of the wise on our lips. Can you see the cycle? The cycle of wisdom is repeated. The student becomes the teacher. The son becomes the father. Right? Look again at 23.12. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. We're talking about instruction and knowledge. See, sometimes when we think about wisdom, um, we think about, um, and I've described it like this, street smarts versus book smarts, right? A, a wise person might not be the smartest guy in the room, but they, they, know, how to, they know how to act, right? The street smarts. Um, there's, there's some truth to that, but biblical wisdom is always connected to knowing and applying the Scriptures, 
Remember we saw last week, it said, get wisdom. That means do whatever you can to obtain it. Get wisdom. Whatever you do, get insight. Jump down to verse 23. Here, the Father, the speaker here, he says in verse 23, buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Buy it. When it comes to wisdom, when it comes to truth, when it comes to understanding, money is no object, is what he's saying. Do whatever it takes to gain these things. So, I, I, we could put it like this in our day. Does going to church, or going to Sunday school, or going to a midweek Bible study, or listening to a podcast, or reading a book, or even just simply reading your Bible, does that cost you? Of course it does. Of course it costs you. It costs you your, your time. And your time is valuable. We understand that. But so what? So what? The Bible says, buy it. Do whatever it takes to get wisdom. Uh, verse 23 again, buy truth, do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Hold fast to these things. There's one more verse here in this collection about instruction, and it's verse 26. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Here's the secret that we all know. Every parent especially knows this. Um, you have someone observing your ways. <laughs> you know that. Every parent knows that. Every grandparent knows that. You have someone observing your ways. That word observing there, there might be a, there might be a footnote in your Bible because it can, also, it can also be translated delighting in. Observing is kind of a weak way. It just means watching, but it actually means watching and delighting in your ways. Are those who are watching you, and they are, we know that, are they delighting in your ways? Or are they afraid of you? Or do they, you know, the list could go on of questions we could ask. Are they delighting in your ways? See, this is a call to trust a call to conform to the instruction and the pattern of life of those before us. This is a call to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I'll tell you, your kids or even the kids of this church, they're going to imitate us anyway, right? So we need to pass on to them lives worthy of imitation. So instruction. And then he continues, Proverbs continues here with discipline. Look at verses 13 and 14. So 12 is apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. Verse 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. So the cycle that we've already hinted at, the, the movement of wisdom from the ears to the hearts to the lips, it's connected, it's connected even in Jesus' teaching in, in, in Luke 6.45. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of his heart the mouth speaks. 
And what follows is is this idea that the instructed becomes the instructor, right? We see that here. See, that word discipline, and some versions might say correction there in verse 13, it's, it's actually the exact same word that was translated instruction in verse 12. It's the exact same word. Discipline and instruction, exactly the same. Now, as we look at these verses, we need to be very careful about these verses because the emphasis here is less on spanking and more on the results of the correction. See, the phrase strike him with a rod, <laughs> that sounds so harsh, especially, especially when the word death is used in the same sentence. But look at these two verses together. Notice that, that they actually say the same thing, but in opposite ways. One is positive and one is negative. So verse 13, do not withhold uh, discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. That's the negative side. Don't do this, and he won't do that. Then Then the positive, if you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. There's a connection between these two verses. In fact, there's a connection between he shall not die and you will save his soul from Sheol. Those are actually saying the same thing. So in other words, since since Sheol is a place of death and destruction, he shall not die, in verse 13, is talking about his spiritual state. See, discipline and instruction are to be life-giving uncorrected, if I could put it this way, uncorrected waywardness, a wayward child, uncorrected waywardness leads to deeper and deeper acts of disobedience, deeper and deeper acts of foolishness, and left unchecked, left undisciplined, that can literally be life-threatening. We understand that. But at the very least, it is soul-threatening. The 18th century British pastor, Charles Bridges, he asks this question. Is it not better that the flesh should should smart than that the soul should die? Is it not better that the flesh should smart, hurt just a little bit, than that the soul should die? These verses are an exhortation to parents to put in the hard work of disciplining your children to bring them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord. There is much more that we could say about this, but the point is that corrective discipline is a part of instruction, and therefore it's our responsibility. Remember, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 8 says this, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If we love our children, we will will discipline them. We will instruct them in the ways of the Lord. So, 
instruction, and discipline. But the question that we should have at this point is, is, is toward what end? Or toward what goal? Well, that's easy. Holiness. Holiness. Now, in the next beginning, really, um, if you jump down to verse 17, there are several sayings here in this section that can be categorized under the, under the broad heading of holiness, but I want to give them to you in, in small bites. And so first is the instruction to fear the Lord. Part of holiness is, is living as a, as a person who fears the Lord. Look at verses 17 and 18. It says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. This is fitting since earlier in Proverbs, it's in chapter 9, verse 10, we read this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We could even substitute Jesus' name there for the words Holy One. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of Jesus is insight. Now we're getting somewhere. When we look at the world... Surely, certainly, it looks like the wicked are prospering. And there is a very real temptation for us to envy them. But the implication of verses 17 and 18 is that they will one day be cut off. They will be cut down. They have no future. And by contrast, we are those who find our contentment in the Lord, in Jesus Christ, where there is a future, where there is a hope. Again, this is my prayer for us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I want that to be our theme verse, so to speak, for for 2024 or beyond. I want that to be the verse that we have, like Romans 8, 1, that we've repeated so often that it is in our belly, that it is in our guts, that it's in our minds, that it just comes out. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. A second instruction towards holiness, is actually self-control. Jump down to verse 19. Hear, my son, and be wise. Direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. This is exactly what Paul will tell Titus um, yet this is a little more, Titus will say, Paul will say in, in the book of Titus, he will say this a little more succinctly. He'll say it this way. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's one of my favorite chapters because he gives the older men a series of things to teach them. He gives the older women a series of things to teach them. Then he gives them a series of, for the older women to teach the younger women, a series of, of character qualities. And then he just says to the young men, one thing, just, just one thing, self-control. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Proverbs here is being a little bit more specific. It's saying it like this. There are certain people you don't need to be hanging around with. 
especially drunkards and gluttons. Back in my day, <laughs> we used to call this the party crowd. There were um, certain colleges that were known as party schools because those things were rampant in the dorms or on campus, right? We know that this is all still happening. This is, this is the prodigal son before he comes to his senses. This is how he was living. And the world says something like this. Eh, they're going to do it anyway. You might as well let, it get, let them get it out of their system. That's what the world says. Or, let's let them do it at our house because then we know it's safe. Or, make sure they have a designated driver. The list goes on. The world just makes excuses for these sins. That's foolishness. The world gives terrible advice in these areas. Holiness, holiness isn't just simply, I want to narrow this down here, holiness isn't just simply don't drink and don't chew. <laughs> don't hang around with drunkards and gluttons. It, it's also, I hope this isn't too crass, it's also don't go with girls who do. Jump down to verse 27. For prostitute is a deep pit, an adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Remember, this is a picture of a father instructing his son. But the principle here is applicable to daughters as well. And can you see the connection between that, that riotous, excessive living with drink and food and this kind of, kind of casual um, illicit sex in these verses. A disobedient son goes into these kinds of relationships, joins in with this party crowd, or however you want to put it, goes into these kinds of relationships with the, with the intention of bouncing from one relationship, one girl, one boy to another. A better way to say it is one, it's not really even a relationship, it's one encounter to another. But that's a trap. The scripture is clear about this. It is a trap, and it is a trap that far too many people find themselves in, both men and women, with no idea how to get out of that. But remember, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, the answer is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's how you get out of that pit. It's Jesus Christ. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There is hope. Can you see it? Even for this. And then really, verses 29 to 35 takes us back to that trap of drunkenness. And it starts with a riddle in verse 29. Who has woe? 
Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eye? Wounds without cause. Who wakes up bruised, not knowing where they came from? Who wakes up not knowing how they got where they are? The answer is verse 30. Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. The allure of the, uh, of the temptation is verse 31. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and it goes down smoothly. And the consequences of this take us really to the end of the chapter, verse 32. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart utter perverse things. You will be the one, uh, like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Like the one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. See how that ends? That wicked cycle, it just gets repeated. I must have another drink. Is that the cycle that you want for your life? No, and for some of us in this room, that's the cycle that we are trying to break our families out of. I know that. It is the cycle that we are trying to break our families out of. We are desperate to pass on wisdom and not drunkenness. We are desperate to pass on a godly marriage and not whatever verses 27 and 28 are. And finally, the next, just, just the first two verses of chapter 24 really bring us back to the beginning. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence and their lips talk of trouble. It can be tempting for the young to look at the people around them just living it up, just having a great time. But the end only comes violence and destruction. But I skipped over a couple of verses as we worked through this. See, an obedient son not only pays attention to instruction and discipline, leading to holiness in those areas, but he also honors his father and his mother. And that is not limited to simply childhood. In fact, some of these rewards will not be seen until much, much later. Let me just read them because I think they actually speak for themselves. Verses 15 and 16. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. Every, every godly father feels this way when he sees his children Grow up to love the Lord, to be obedient, to speak what is right. Verse 22, listen to your father who gave your life and do not despise your mother when she is old. And then verse 24, the father of righteousness will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. This is one of our goals in life, right? As we pray 
regularly for more and more kids. As, as I pray for van loads full of kids, as we pray for uh, you and your families, as we pray for one another, as we encourage one another, one of the things that is our goal, one of the reasons we pray for these things is that we are also praying for children who are wise and righteous and honor their, their mother and father, but especially, especially honor their father who is in heaven. That's what our prayer is. That, that our children, that the generations after us would listen to our instruction, would heed our discipline, that they, would, that they would transform into lives of holiness that they might honor not just, not just dear old mom and dad, but our Father who is in heaven. Remember, remember what the Apostle John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have no greater joy than to know that our children are walking with Christ. But it doesn't just happen. We got a lot of work to do to get them there. But thanks be to God who has given us all that we need in His Word, with the Holy Spirit, and with the church. Pray with me. Father, I thank You for the wisdom of Scripture. And on the front end, as we have little kids or we think about having children one day, it can be pretty daunting. We can see the world around us and, and even be tempted to not have children. Even be tempted to say, why would anybody bring a child into this world? Father, give us courage. Know that your promises are true and they are right. Lord, I pray that we as a church the mothers and fathers in here, the grandparents in here, the aunts and uncles in here, that we as a church family would live in such a way that we would, we would pass on the faith to the next generation. The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith in Jesus Christ. That we might live and act and speak and worship and love in a way that passes on the faith. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. And even as we come to the, to the Lord's Supper now, we are so grateful that you have not left us to this alone, but that you have left us with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we hold fast to the truth that Jesus will return. And that as we eat and drink the supper, Lord, we do so until Christ returns, until that day when we eat and drink in the presence of our Savior. And so we rejoice that we are able to gather and proclaim his death until he comes. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the so great a salvation that you have given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.